Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike tried his coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville, now part of the Athletic Baseball Show. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for the Athletic. I am here, as always, with my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, Doug Glanville. And Doug, once again this week, we have another incredible guest. It's Jay Bruce. Uh, He just retired after a fantastic career. And Doug, you know where guys always go for fun after they retire? They go to Starkville, because why wouldn't they? (laughs) Absolutely. Who could beat the beaches and the mountains and just the downtown ice cream? It's the best. Yeah. It also helps. I think it beats helping out with the dishes. So there's also that. (laughs) So Doug, uh, Jay Bruce has been retired for a week now. And he still got as many hits Sunday against Madison Bumgarner as the Braves did, (laughs) by which I mean zero, of course. So uh, before we bring in Jay, I I would like to talk about this mad bum, whatever it was, with you. Uh, I don't know how anybody who listens to this podcast could possibly not know what happened in that game, but we'll sum it up in case you don't. Madison Bumgarner threw a complete game in Atlanta against the Braves. He gave up no hits. Baseball's totally cool with him saying he pitched a shutout. Baseball is not cool with him saying that he pitched a no-hitter, even though he gave up no hits. And why is that? Because the game only went seven innings, not nine, because it was part of a doubleheader. And I personally, I think this is the freaking height of absurdity. I've got a few thoughts on why. But, Doug, I'm going to start by asking you this, since you're a noted wordsmith. If that mm-hmm. wasn't a no-hitter, then what the heck was it? <laughs> well, I, I decided to really digest this and give a little answer for many different communities that love baseball. So for the analytics team out there, they love acronyms. So I'm going to call it a zero, a, a ZHC, which is a zero in the hit column, a.k.a. <laughs> a zit. So we call it a zit. a zit. So that's for the analytics world, yes. Uh, well, you can say no hitter. Why not say yes pitcher? Let's be positive here. No hitter, <laughs> yes pitcher. So we'll call it a yes pitcher. 
And then let me just do a lightning round of Madison Bumgarner names since he's done this wonderful feat. We have Bum Zero. We have Zero Dark Mad. We have Seventh and Madison. We have Mad About Zero. We have Hitless by Bum. And we have Mad Seven. And since he's sponsored by Carthart, you can just sponsor the no-hitter. Just call it the Carthart 9 uh, no-hitter. So we'll do that. And I decided to throw some culture ones at you. The Ground Out Zero. And, of course, the Ocean Seven in <laughs> honor of the movies. And But I think the name that I would like to stick, I thought about it a little bit. And I said, 21 outs. Why don't we be cool and come up with something like Blackjack? We can call it the Blackjack no-hitter. I think that would be kind of cool. Like, you know, add a little twist. And then in honor of Roberto Clemente, 21 outs, we could do something like a Clemente no-hitter. And just for fun, since we have a Grapefruit League, we'll just call it the Clementine. And then just call it that. So I think I've exhausted all my ideas. I think they're all exceptional. And if Major League Baseball just wants to throw that little asterisk, we at least have to give it a title. All right, you've exhausted me. (laughs) (laughs) I know that. Um, Here's what I think. I think we definitely need to honor Mad Bum because this is going to be legendary in baseball as like a, this is a Bumgarner thing. So it's got to be a, like, I, it's got to have some kind of connection to him. We're always going to remember this. Uh, I, I love Seventh and Madison. It might, it might be a little too New York y, though. What were your other bias? Right, we don't want that. We can't be accused of that. So, what, what, what were your other Mad Bum options again? Oh, Bum Zero, uh, Zero Dark Mad, Seventh and Madison, Mad About Zero, Hitless by Bum, Mad Seven. <laughs> uh, those are the Madison. Yeah. So, I mean, you could call it a Bum Garner. I mean, that sounds like a name, like Mulligan. It's kind of right, actually. Yeah, I like we could call, call it a Bum Garner, like. <laughs> I, it does pretty, work I like bum zero that's, that's not bad but all right let, let, let's take this under advisement here tell you what if you are listening to this madness out there why don't you just email us or tweet at us um <laughs> we'll tell you how to do that later tell us what we should call this thing in the meantime uh anybody who listens to starkville n- knows just like anyone who's ever read me knows. I'm I'm not that guy who says never change any rules ever or we'll all get struck down by lightning. You know, I've been really pretty cool with almost everything that they've tried here over the last couple of years and the stuff they're trying in the Atlantic League and the minor leagues. I'm just not cool with this seven-inning game rule. And I didn't just start with Sunday. I've been saying since last year, this rule was trouble. And this shows us exactly why it's trouble. You know, uh, one of my favorite things about baseball is the way it allows us to connect the dots between that thing we just saw Mike Trout do in that game we were just watching and what, like, Lou Gehrig did in 1926. Um But when you start playing games, and then some of the games are nine innings, and some of the games are seven innings, what does that do? It breaks that connection. And I think what happens Sunday is kind of the poster boy example of why that is so misguided. Doug, I want you to think about this. Baseball is basically saying, 
every stat in that game counts. Except the most important stat of all of them. <laughs> the only stat anybody actually cares about, the no-hitter stat. Right? So by doing that, what have they done? They've ruined one of the coolest, most unique things in this sport that no other sport can match. The no-hitter. It's ruined. Like, this wasn't the same thing as a rain-shortened, no-hitter, Deverne, right. Hansack. Is that what it was? <laughs> the last guy to do it? Like, where the guy... Uh, leaves the mound. He just threw a hitless inning. Nobody knew it was the last inning. That's not it. That's not what happened here. Everybody knew they were going to play seven innings before they started. So yes, by right, so by ruling in advance that this couldn't be a no hitter, what did they do? They ruined the whole thing. The best <laughs> part of the no hitter is how the drama builds. It builds inning by inning, out by out. It's so awesome. But by announcing to the world, as this was going on, don't get excited out there, it won't count, <laughs> they ruined it. Like, who thought this was a good idea? Oh, my God. All right, Doug, your thoughts. No, I mean, you know, it's, it's um, these are all like residual effects of some of the adjustments we had to make with the pandemic and, you know, runner on second base, you know, that's going to blow up in, in someone's face, extra innings. We know that's the inevitable. Uh, you know, and, and somewhat with the no hitter, it's shifted a lot because we've gotten so far away from that. You know, the day of the the nine start inning complete game guys that go out every time, and they would get the no hitter and it'd be a singular effort. Now we have community no hitters and team no hitters, <laughs> and so it's already so you're kind of there was already that. Yeah, yeah, we, we were headed that way. Now someone like with Skaggs and the honoring that the Angels, I mean, that was magic, right? Amazing. That was a magical, right? And and so you saw the power of it. So. Uh, but now we've we've had to sacrifice certain things to deal with this new reality we faced. And baseball, it, it, it's part of what we love about it. It's sort of inflexibility at times around not changing and trying to be able to compare something that happened in 1937 to something that happened in 2021. And and I think, you know, we're going to struggle with this for, I think there's a lot of more things like this that are happening that are just percolating, you know, DH in both leagues and, you know, all these things that started to change. So I, I don't know, but they, this one, you know, I think, like you said, if you create the structure in a premeditated fashion that this game is seven innings, then you got to take the rewards with it. You know, you just got to do it. I, I understand that looking down, you say, well, that was a seven inning, whatever. But it is, that's, that's, they only could play seven to win the game. That was it. I mean, it's not his fault. That's the structure we created. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, this is something that maybe makes you rethink it. But right now, they made this bed. Maybe makes you rethink it. <laughs> they, they, they need to start rethinking it right now. Well, rethink. Well, <laughs> would they rethink it? this? Would they rethink <laughs> the seven inning? That's the question, right? Would they go back and say, "Let's yeah. just play all nines, You know. Yeah, where this so. leads next year, uh, I don't know, but I hope people get this memo. Like, here's one. All right, here's one more thing about the absurdity of this. Uh, one of my Twitter friends brought this up to me. Um, because of the extra inning ghost runner rule, your favorite rule, Doug, it is now possible to throw a perfect game and lose it. Think how bizarre that is. But it's not possible to allow no hits in a complete game and have it be a no hitter. <laughs> right. Doug, is any of this logical? Uh, you went to Penn? Explain it all to me, would you please? Yeah. 
Well, I just threw out my engineering degree on this one. I have no idea how that makes any sense. But yeah, they, you know, I, I love it because that's baseball fans will find you. They will find you. And and we could come up with all the ways that this could go awry and wrong. So yeah, they, you know, they know now. This took like all of five hours because, you know, by the time the game ended, we'd already known that this is going to eventually happen. So, oof, good luck with that one. But uh, the cat is officially out of the bag. So, you know, not sure what they're going to do. <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to have to name that cat mad bum the cat <laughs> is there any other sport is there any other sport that has this phenomenon of being shortened and having outcomes i mean I, i'm trying to think of something like well actually there is a tennis thing right there is the regular old tournaments and there are the major tournaments now if you think about it doug all the regular old tournaments they're best of three sets but sometimes you get tournaments that are so momentous wimbledon the french the australian the u.s open the masters oh wait not the masters <laughs> they're all best of five sets if you're a man so tennis kind of does this but when you win another tournament does tennis say oh that one doesn't count because it wasn't five sets nobody ever says that everything counts here i go again I love it. I, that's I didn't even think about that. So I mean, I, I went. It's funny. I went to the U.S. Open many years, starting in the late '80s. Uh, awesome tournament, by the way. And early rounds, you walk around with the players. I don't know what it's like. It's been years. That's oh, great. But exactly. I mean, you know. So there's there's some precedent. I, I I see baseball. They might have to relent on this. It's gonna. I'm sure you have to drag it out, but. Uh, it's 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 hard to deny this. Yeah, well, like all the precedent is on our side, not on their side. <laughs> so I hope they remember that we got this right. They got this not right. We're we're in agreement, right? We are. Yes, yes. All right, I think it's pretty clear by now where we stand on what Madison Bumgarner did Sunday. So let's welcome in our very special guest this week. Jay Bruce, and ask him what he thinks. But first, Jay, Doug and I are really honored to have you visit us here in Starkville. How's life on the other side of baseball? <laughs> it's good so far. It's good. Uh, you know, at home with the family, with the boys, um, you know, not bothering my wife too much yet, but I'm sure that's uh, right around the corner. <laughs> i got a really important question for <laughs> All you. Right. By joining us, what mundane household task are you avoiding vacuuming cleaning the garage must be something well there's always something that's what i've learned um, <laughs> the work is never done around the house but uh tried to do a little tidying up this morning before i got on with y'all so right now i'm on i'm on cruise control like i said just put my son down for a nap my other son's watching a little tv so um we're uh we're in a good spot right now Good. I should have known you would have it all in control, Jay, because you always did. <laughs> all right. We'll look back on your great career in a minute. But first, uh, we need to ask you if what Madison Bumgarner did Sunday was a no-hitter. Uh, you know, you talked at your retirement press conference about how much you love baseball. So as a lover of baseball, what do you think they should do about this? I don't know, man. I don't know. You know uh... <laughs> We spoke a little bit earlier. I, you know, I, there's been a lot of these types of 
um, innings of no hit baseball that were not recorded as a no hitter. And, you know, the way the game is changing, I mean, we play games now, scheduled games (laughs) that are seven innings, you know? So I feel like you do beautiful. You have to acknowledge that it was a, an official no hitter, but it's, you know, for seven innings. (laughs) It's, is it really that hard? You just made it sound so easy. It's not hard. How many no hitters were you involved with? Of course, I know you you were in the wrong end of one of them. So I have been no hit twice. Roy Halladay. Fun fact about that. I was the (laughs) only reason it wasn't a perfect game. (laughs) Ironically enough. Not much of a walker in my career. <laughs> you walked. Um, but you then, walked that day. Yes, you did. Yes. And then Jake Arrieta, no hit the Reds in 15, I believe. And then Homer Bailey, two no hitters nice. I was part of. Right. Right. So, okay. So, I mean, they were all nine inning no hitters, but I was saying to Doug, you know how the great part of a no hitter is how the drama the, builds the last... inning by inning out by out and you feel it like when you're standing out there in the field and a guy is six outs away or whatever what's that like it's definitely like if someone tells you they're not thinking about their life to you you know and you're definitely a little more uh this is i mean whether you like it or not you're a little more focused you're a little more at attention you know because there's something that's on the line that is very, very important, way more important to the other person, but to the guy on the mound than it is to you, you know? Um, so you don't want to be the one to to mess it up, and you want to be the one to make the great play and to, to keep it intact. And uh, there's definitely some some added, added pressure to it, for sure. And I think that's what makes it, you know, so much uh, so much more important, you know, because you want to be the – the the aid that you know helps secure it if need be yeah, might have yeah. Some <laughs> do, yeah do you want, the, you ball? want the ball hit the yeah end. i was uh, eric milton was pitching a no hitter <laughs> in in philly and they brought me in i was you know a teammate of his of course and they brought me in for defensive replacement in the ninth and of course two balls in <laughs> i like kind of misread a ball freeze and then it drops in front chase utley dove and he was like 35 <laughs> yards short when he landed uh, so that was, yeah. that was it. That was the like only even close to no hitters. We somehow avoided them. Let, let, let's talk about you. Uh, you, you know, you, re- you retired last week and when we heard that news, uh, our friend Trent Rosencant, Trent, see Trent Rosencrantz, who covers the Reds for us here at the athletic tweeted something about you. I thought was interesting. Uh, he talked about how you grew up idolizing Ken Griffey Jr. And we all remember how who didn't? Ken Griffey retired. Yeah, I know. Also, all right, so Ken Griffey retires. It was the middle of the season. He knew in his heart it was time, and he just said, that's it, and got in his car and started driving. <laughs> but was there anything about that, just that him knowing that it was time, that resonated with you when you made your decision? Because it's one of the hardest that any athlete would ever have to make. Definitely an incredibly tough decision. Um, but. I mean, I didn't, I don't even, I didn't even remember that Ken did it that way, but you know, for me, yeah, I mean, I, it's the same. It was the sentiment was the same. I I knew it was time and I knew that 
I owed it to myself. I owed it to the team. I owed it to baseball to, you know, when it was time to, to ring the bell, to, to say, listen, like I'm not fulfilling my end of the bargain here. I'm not, you know, and that's okay. I did for a long, long time. And it was time to, to close the chapter and, and, you know, move on. All right, well, I'll tell you what, why don't we talk about the good times? Yeah. Okay. Cause it's always fun at times like this uh, to listen to a few highlights from your career. And so why don't we play a few and you can tell us what you remember about these cool moments. All right. uh, Got to start with this one, May 31st, 2008 <laughs> against the Atlanta Braves. In the air, and the Reds win it. What a dream beginning to the career of Jay Bruce. Leo Mazzoni, we talked about him before the game started. All the buildup, all the hype. This is one of the greatest five games to start a career of any player in recent memory. What do you remember about that moment, Jay? That was career homer number one. Yeah, you know, I was too naive for the moment to actually, like, consume me. You know, I and being a walk-off and, and being my first home run and, you know, playing playing against the Braves who I watched so much growing up due to the Turner situation. Um, it was that in the Cubs, you know, that's, that's what – what would I watch? So, so familiar with that team growing up and, um, man, it just seemed, I remember it seeming so easy, <laughs> honestly, because you know, the, the three games against the pirates and then the Braves come in, I had an incredible start to my career. And I just remember it feeling like almost, almost not real. I mean, it felt like it was, uh, at that point, you know, it was like, what was supposed to happen in a lot of ways. And it was, it was crazy. I remember being so, you know, so excited, so happy. Um, and really not, you know, there were no expectations at that point. There were no, like, like I said, the buildup wasn't, you get into moments as you get through your career and you realize that the moment is so big and, and is so uh, important. And it didn't, nothing felt like that then. Really? You know, I went back and looked uh, over the weekend just at that first week of your career. At right, the first game of your career, you get on base five times. Yeah. The first, your very first game. And then it was three more times the next day. And, and then you got on the next day, four for five in game four. Then that game was three for five with the walk-off homer. The next day, two for three with a walk and another so homer. That the next that, day, two that for homer, four with another homer. That homer the next day was yeah. way more um, – like like dream come true for me it was off tim hudson <laughs> and nothing against manny Costa, <laughs> but i mean tim hudson was you know still considered like one of the guys yeah. at that point you know so yeah. that was kind of crazy too you know going through that season facing the people that i grew up watching that were you know just more they were way more in the clouds than than it you know seemed real i didn't really know who manny acosta was to be honest with you you know and you know tim hudson and you know tom glavin and greg maddox and you know mario rivera mike Mussina, andy pettit these are all guys that i faced my first year and that those are the people that like reminded me of my childhood 
Yeah, I bet. You were 15 for your first 26. Yes. <laughs> with, with, with three homers and a 667 on base. You were the your main Mercedes of your era, Jay. Yeah. Yes, yes. He is, Something like that. Yeah, he's going crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, all right, next up, September 28th, 2010. You're, sh you're shaking your head so you know what's coming. Yeah. Roy Oswalt was on the mound. And a high fly ball, center field. He hit it a time. It's gone. And the 2010 Central Division Championship belongs to the Cincinnati Reds. Jay Bruce explodes at first pitch into the grass and straight away center field. So, correction, that was Tim Burdak was on the mound. Roy oh, okay, sorry about that. So, and who started the game was Wandy Rodriguez. And interesting tidbit about that. My career, I'm like three for 35 against Wandy <laughs> with like 27 <laughs> strikeouts. And it got to the point, you know, there were, my career, I played 158 games, 160, 157. It was like, I played every single day, you know, and pretty much. And it got to the point where Dusty would be like, hey, man. You know, Wandy's pitching. <laughs> just don't, you know, just just come late. You know, don't even. We're gonna we're gonna give you the, this is gonna be your day. You know, and so that game, he called me in the office and he was like, "Hey man, um, you know, we have a chance to clinch tonight." And so, you know, I want you to be on the field. So you're gonna play. And so he hit me seventh. And I'm so I'm so appreciative of of him. You know being as thoughtful as he was with that decision because I, it gave me an opportunity to be in that situation right then. But um, it's crazy how, how that stuff happens, you know? Yeah. Just, uh, just so people know what that was. That was a walk off Homer to <laughs> clinch the division. Yes. Right. What a moment. Like people don't live those moments in real life, <laughs> just in Hollywood. Yeah. But you did Jay. It's pretty good. All right. Let, let's do one more. Uh, Cause this is very, this is similar. This was September 14th, 2017. You're with the Indians now. This was an incredible moment. A swing and a drive to deep right, down the line, base hit, into the corner, around third, coming home, Ramirez. It's a game winner for Jay Bruce, and history marches on. A mob scene in shallow center. Jay Bruce getting pummeled, and the Indians continue this improbable run 22 consecutive wins tom hamilton's got to learn to get excited over the moment yeah yeah <laughs> that was great that was crazy and you know the two things that i remember most about that game francisco lindor hit a ball with two strikes and two outs in the ninth inning that alex gordon catches 99 out of 100 times and it wasn't like a, he should have caught it it was like alex gordon catches that because he's got seven gold gloves or whatever it is. And the other thing I remember is I was facing a booker in the ten, uh, the ninth or the 10 or whatever. I booked my, my bat prior with the bases loaded and one out and I popped up to the catcher. <laughs> so I could have done that an inning or an at bat before, but it ended up happening then. And man, that was a, that was a crazy, crazy run, you know, especially right after getting traded over to the Indians you know, it started. And then they didn't lose for four weeks. <laughs> didn't lose for four yeah. weeks. Yes. And, you know, that, that moment is definitely, you know, the second uh, 
greatest moment of my career. You know, the first one was in Cincinnati. And, um, it really made me kind of remember and think back on the one in Cincinnati. And I, I thought stuff like that happened all the time. Yeah. Really. You know, when I did it in Cincinnati, I was like, Oh, well, crazy moments like this happen all the time. And little, you know, little did I know then that's not the case at all. So very appreciative of both of those. those I, mean, I alluded to this earlier, but doesn't it feel when you're in one of those moments, like you're living in a movie, except it's happening to you. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, Jay, along the way, you know, I, it's funny how you have moments and they get defined sometimes by the big stage or what they sort of led to a clinching. But there's also these personal mm -hmm. moments where you actually value it that might not be a trophy or something that made the front page that maybe you preserved or you collected. Were, were there anything, moments like that that stand out? And also, did you sort of save things and get memorabilia along the way to commemorate it? You know, I... I'm generally not a big memorabilia guy. You know, honestly, I think um, the batting gloves and the ball from that the 2010 game, it, it went to the Hall of Fame for a little bit. And then I think it went to the Reds Hall of Fame. And it's at my house somewhere, <laughs> but I haven't. It's packed away. The things that I remember mostly about those, obviously the moment in 2010 is the Dusty situation. You know, being being like, that's like something that no one really knows about. And it wasn't understood between Dusty and myself that like, I probably wasn't going to play. I play almost every other day, but when Wandy was pitching, it was like a good excuse for him to make me take a day off and for him to have the wherewithal to notice that moment or that opportunity, which could potentially present itself. Um, I'm very thankful for that. And then secondly, another manager, moment i guess is you know tito the way he approached that whole run uh was pretty pretty incredible pretty impressive you know it's almost like he knew exactly the the buttons to push and the buttons not to push along the way you know taking you know we had a lot of we swept three double headers on the road in that, oh. that run and it's just crazy like how i i don't i feel in in it took some some feel you know to navigate those waters um and that 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 was impressive to me. It really was. Jay, I want to give you a chance to tell some stories. And I know one of my favorite stories about you is about the nine-year-old Jay Bruce calling up the kingdom. So, Jay, what, what the heck were you <laughs> yes. trying to do? And how did it go? Well, um, I was trying to call. <laughs> he was he was pretty happy to hear from you, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I. I wouldn't leave it. So obviously years later we connected, but um, I, I'll, I remember that used to be able to dial one, four, one, one for like the operator and it would charge you. And my parents weren't too happy about that, but um, and it was one of those phones. Remember the phones in the nineties that you could see all the guts of like all the inner workings. It was like a clear phone. So that was, it was, that was the phone I was on. Was anybody um, around? Like, did they know you were doing and, this in your house? No, 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 <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. And I mean, I was so ate up with King Griffey Jr. when I was a kid, like everything about him. I mean, I loved everything. I had, you know, wanted a glove. I had the cleats. I had the shoes. I hit exactly <laughs> like him. You know, it was my parents wouldn't really let me wear my hat backwards, anything to do with baseball, but it was, uh, Man, he was every. I mean, he was most people's idol my age. If you played baseball, honestly, 
seems like it anyway. Um, and I don't know why I got the idea, but I just dialed one four one one and asked him to connect <laughs> me to the Kingdome in Seattle, Washington. And I don't know, probably somebody from the who knows answered. I have no idea. And I asked for King Griffey Jr. And they were like, <laughs> basically like, kid, this is some joke, you know? <laughs> Needless to say, I did not get far. I did not get far. But I gave it a try. And I did. I got connected to the actual kingdom. And um, that that's where the, you know, um, I played center field in my first game in the major leagues and he played right. That's amazing. <laughs> Which was super crazy to me because, I mean, arguably the best center fielder to ever play. You know, and I was playing right, playing center field. And I, it was just, it was like, that was a dream come yeah. true. It was crazy. Somebody was playing center field and it wasn't him. And it was you. <laughs> you know, I, I, exactly. can, I can still remember exactly. that, all right, that spring where the Reds decided he was going to have to move to right field. To and right. Uh, like maybe yeah. even remember me barging into spring training that morning because uh, Hal McCoy gave me a call and said, this is the day, right? So I went roaring over to beautiful Sarasota and walked in and he saw me and he just rolled his eyes like, what are you doing here? And so <laughs> I, I, when I tried to explain it to him, he said, it's no big deal. I used to play center field. Now I don't. I said, no, you don't get it. You're not just any old center <laughs> no, fielder moving yeah. to some other position. You are the ultimate center fielder the of center your fielder. time. Okay. So this is the ultimate compliment that we care. He said, oh, okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, for yeah, sure. So. You know what's interesting is I remember specifically like watching him in right field and like the things that made him the most amazing center fielder that I'd ever seen were still there. Like it was still, you know, the way he was like, you know, moved around the wall and the way he dove for balls and his throws and like his routes, it was all like still like the acumen was still there. You know, but I think the due to the health situation and obviously he was older, you know, it made sense. But as far as like the ability to do those special, special things was still on, I mean, on display constantly. Did you ever tell him that you tried to call him when you were nine? <laughs> oh, yeah, he knows for sure. Yeah. All right, let me ask you about another one of your favorite teammates. I, I know how close you and Joey Votto are. I still remember spring yeah. training one year. You two were sitting in a golf cart, and somehow, for some reason you let me hang around and talk to you <laughs> at the golf cart. <laughs> do, you, do you have a favorite Joey Votto story that's it's just fun, just how different he thinks? And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got, well, I've got two. I've got one that's more of a knock on me. <laughs> And then the other one was kind of like ex uh, an, an anecdotal explanation as to why he is who he is. Um, the first one, you know, Joey's from Toronto. He, he's, he's four years older than me. Needless to say, he was a little more cultured um, and worldly at a younger age than I was. Um, I'm from a small town, Southeast Texas that, you know, pretty standard, upbringing as far as southern you know the food i ate the, the just you know all that stuff it, it's 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 a little different um so he invites me over to lunch one day at his house before a game and we go over there and he has um food made and i don't even remember i don't think he made it i don't know i don't know what happened but we were eating and he brings out this bowl of 
what I think is salsa. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm from Southeast Texas, which is like probably the Tex-Mex capital of the world. And I'm like, man, I've seen this a million times. This is salsa. Like I, I I'm gonna and I'm gonna crush it because I'm waiting on the chips, you know. And so he comes and sits down, and we were having turkey burgers, and there was this bowl of what I thought was salsa <laughs> sitting there. And I'm like, Joey, where are the chips? And he's like, What are you talking about? I'm like, Well, you got salsa, <laughs> you know? Or do you? We didn't put it on our turkey burgers. He's like, Jay, that's gazpacho. <laughs> and I was like, uh, What is gazpacho? And he's like, It's soup. <laughs> And he's, you know, at the time you can just see it on his face. Like, dude, what is going on? Like, what do you live under a rock? Basically is what he was saying. And I'm like, Joey, that's not soup. Soup is hot, first of all. And secondly, soup has meat, you know, and that's just the, I was 21, you know, like just, or 22, you know, I was, I, I was, my palate was quite a bit more immature than than it is now and that it ever was for him either um and so that was really really and you never, really you, funny and you never i laughed any at that one after it, did you? no no chips and i've had just but i've been presented with gazpacho a couple more times in my life and i'm like oh this is gazpacho <laughs> you know, so it set me up right. for the moment you know to to fit in um the other one that i think is so impressive and it really explains who he is, you know, after, so the 2010 season, he won the MVP. And I think 11 or 12, he was having a season for the ages. I mean, I think that he was, his on-base percentage was 474 when he got, he got hurt. He tore his meniscus, I think. And he was doing things that, most people like that this almost never happened in the game so he was doing unbelievable that year so then the following season i think in 2013 it was really really early in the year like maybe like the first week and i walk in the video room and he's sitting in there and he's got two pieces of paper in his hands and i'm like joe what's up what do you what do you know what are you looking at and he's like, I'm looking at my 2010 versus 2012 season. I'm like, oh, yeah, I mean, your MVP season, you know, that was incredible. And he's like, yeah, it was good. But I'm trying to decide which type of player I want to be moving forward. <laughs> and I was like, bro, what are you talking about? <laughs> he's like, well, 2010 was a much more volatile season from a – from a result standpoint, I took a lot more chances. I swung and missed more. I, you know, didn't walk as much as I should have. And in 2012, I took less chances. I didn't hit the, you know, I wasn't hitting the same number of home runs, but I was slugging higher because I was hitting for higher average, walking more, missing less. And he's like, I'm trying to decide which one I want to do because he's like, I know that 2012 version ages better. <laughs> Wow. And, you know, this is a, a guy at the time, like, um, that is, you know, ha has two historic seasons right in front of him. And he's choosing <laughs> which one he wants to continue on with. Yeah. And, you know, like, 
and here I am like hitting 255 with 30 homers and, you know, dri- trying to drive in a hundred, you know, like that's all that I'm caring about. And for him to be able to actively consider the, the, the offensive profile that he would like to continue on with is something that is extremely like unheard of. And it's an ode to him as a player and the type of, you know, approach that he takes to the to the game in, in general is is incredible. It's like yeah, no one I've ever really seen. just will himself to do stuff. Feels <laughs> like right? whatever it, he so wants. He, yeah, does he? It's crazy. Does he will really himself is. to just never pop up? Yeah, right. How do you do that? <laughs> yeah, I think I think it, that's more of a product of him willing himself yeah. to do everything else. You know, and like you know, now you can tell for a few years he didn't hit for the power that he wanted to. And now he's hitting for power again because he's decided that he's like, I have to do to be valuable in today's game. I have to do this. Yeah. That's amazing. And power brings so many other byproduct with the walks, you know, because you look at the guys who walk the most, it's the guys who slug the most. That's just the bottom line. I, you know, if you're not slugging, you're not a threat to hit a home run or a double, then they're not going to walk you. And I think that, I mean, he, he, you know, saw that, he's going to have to continue to do that and he can and he's doing it i mean it's 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 impressive what does it say about you know you mentioned joey Votto, and there's also this mentorship right in the background and so as you grew up in the game what did you find important to pass on to to younger players behind you well uh you know joey and i it's funny that you mentioned that because joey and i are peers in a lot of ways you know we came up he came up in September of 2007. I came up in 08 and we were essentially like brothers kind of, you know, getting into the big leagues and doing it together and learning about all that stuff together. Um, and then I was also able to play and so fortunate who I, who I would consider my, my actual mentor is Scott Rowland. Um, and between those two guys, they really taught me about intent and work, you know, what it was to actually have a routine and to work and to work intentionally. Um, and, you know, Scott caught, taught me to, you know, quantify success differently than just the stats because, you know, I would go to Scott and I'd be like, you know, Scott, I just felt like I underachieved, man. You know, and I had just come off winning two silver sluggers. And he's like, well, you're probably never going to feel like you did what you were supposed to do because that's why you were able to perform at a high level is because you set your sights, you know, so high. And he's like, what you, you know, in my opinion, what you're going to have to do in your career is to start figuring out a way to quantify success differently. You know, something that you can control, that you can touch, that when you go to bed at night, you know that you were physically and mentally prepared to play the game. Um, and Joey was, you know, the way that Joey works is so focused. His practice is so focused and so perfect that that's not something that I grew up um, valuing. For me, you know, batting practice was just getting loose. Like I was just out there taking BP, running down a few balls and going in and eating a grilled cheese sandwich or whatever, you know, like for him, you know, he pulled me aside one day. He's like, dude, that was a waste of your time. Your batting practice today was a waste of your time. 
And he's like, if you're not going to do it, then why even come waste energy of, of taking batting practice? And that, that really opened my eyes. And I would go through, you know, times where I, my swing didn't feel right, or I wasn't getting hits or I wouldn't, you know, it just didn't feel right up there. And to be honest with you, I had no idea why for my first couple of years, I had nothing to, to grab onto, nothing to get, look back at, you know, nothing to like check, you know, is, am I doing my routine? Is my, my swing ready to play? And Joey really turned me on to, to figuring that out and, and um, having a more intentional and, uh, you know, focused approach to the game. And I'm so thankful for that. Uh, you, you know, the, Jay, you and Doug have something in common. Actually, have a lot of things in common. You both played with Scott Rowland, both played for Dusty. But you have something in common, and you don't even know it. Um, back when baseball had a, a media panel at the old Rookie Development Program, I was a guest, at, uh, a guest member of that panel quite a few years. And I used two players as an example to young players of how to handle tough moments. Uh, you have, you know, because you have many great moments as a player, but it's just inevitable there will be some that are not so great. And those two players were you and Doug. Uh, Doug, the way he handled that Eric Milton moment was so professional and special. And the 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 Jay Bruce example that I used was, sorry to relive this, but the the 2010 Division Series, right? playoffs, yep. leading seventh inning, right mm-hmm. of Game Two. I think it was Jimmy Rollins. Yeah, four nothing. Right. I think. So now Jimmy Rollins hits yeah. a ball to right, lost it in the lights, turned that game around, wound up turning the series around. But I, I remember that they opened the clubhouse door, and there you were, standing right there, just waiting for those questions that I'm sure you didn't really want to answer. So how hard was that? And why did you handle it th- that way? And it, like you were so good to people in my line of work. Man, that was definitely, I would say, up to that point in my career, the, the toughest um, toughest moment I've had. And I had just hit my first playoff right. run that game, too. So I was I was on a high before that happened. And I, I don't know, man. I think the way that I just tried to approach things as a player is you're, there's going to be a narrative that's created. You know, there's going to be – people are going to have their thoughts and they're going to have their opinions. And the least you can do for yourself as a player is to, you know, create that narrative and, and, and control that narrative narrative as much as possible. And I think people, regardless of how they feel about you or your play or the execution or lack thereof, they can appreciate the fact that you're honest about it, you know? Um, And I knew I was going to have to do it at some point, you know, I knew I was going to have to answer the questions. Um, You know, I was very, very, very fortunate to have Rob Butcher who kind of helped me, you know, throughout my early in my career to kind of uh, a, you know, teach me the right way to do things or, or or communicate to me the, the right way to do things. And, honesty and accountability was a huge part of my upbringing in my family and my household. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was, uh, that was, I wanted to crawl in a hole, honestly. And that was, uh, it was crazy. And then 
it really honestly prepared me for, you know, I went to New York and had the worst month of my baseball career when I got traded over there. Um, you know, it's just, it's easier to face the music because you're going to have to do it at some point. Yeah. And you both, both you guys understood that. So, right, so what do you think you're going to miss most about playing baseball and what did you love most about playing baseball? Yeah. The thing I'm going to miss most, I, you know, I think that I really fell in love with the work, the preparation, the, um, the constant chase of like overcoming obstacles on a daily basis. Um, I really think I decided that I didn't necessarily actively care about the success. It was more of a byproduct of the preparation and the work that I did. And, you know, in a game that is so imperfect and filled with failure that you're going to, you're going to have so much more failure than you are success. And the crazy thing about it is when you, you know, what I found myself feeling is when I did have success, it was expected. It's like when I hit a home run, it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> or when I hit a double or didn't strike out or laid off a pitch, it's like, well, it's about time. <laughs> and so what I ended up loving so much about the game day in and day out was the fact that I got to go and, you know, um, try and figure out a way to not fail. And the success was just a byproduct of it all. Like I never, I never even gave myself a chance to think about like, or feel um, excited about doing those, you know, the, the cool things, the home runs, the diving catches, throwing guys out because it was, I was so like, turn the page, turn the page, turn the page, turn the page, turn the page. And I think that's what allowed me to have the career that I had. Um, and it, it was something that, you know, I'm, I'm going to really miss because that's something that drove you every single day to, to figure out, um, what you were going to do that day to, to be a little bit better than you were the day before. And the guys, I'm going to miss the guys too. You know, the, the plane rides, the, the dinners, the, the times where, you know, everyone could really just relax and you know the camaraderie of that is uh is something that i don't think that you'll really find anywhere else but also covid really put a damper on that stuff too so yeah it's it's um i think of the mentor the the family the brotherhood and uh, a couple of funny stories is well one was scott Rowland, who was always many years philosophically ahead of us and uh he <laughs> So he was trying to get out of Philly, basically, and he got traded to St. Louis. Yeah. And we had a quilt mm -hmm. uh, that was, a, it was like the wives, girlfriends would do a square for each player had their wife or girlfriend do the square if you had one. And uh, so I was last to sign because I was like single or whatever. So I go in the room to sign the quilt and I'm like the last one to sign. And, and it's all red and white Phillies color. In the middle, there's a black square. So I was like, what the heck is that? So I go look at it. And Roland had like like airbrushed and had a painting with um, his wife. I guess helped. It. I don't know if she was wife at the time. I think about that. Um, and it was it was him in a uniform, painted on a dock, like he's gonna jump into the ocean, looking up at the ravens in the sky. Sky was like black, purple, dark green. It was like a storm and tornado. <laughs> 
And and this was like donated to charity. And there were, all the other scares were like Sunrise, this Travis Lee from San Diego had like, uh, I mean, yeah. I, I could not stop laughing for 15 minutes. So I texted Scott and as soon as he saw it and I called him, he said, he just started laughing as soon as I picked up. He said, oh, I guess he saw the quilt. I mean, he, he just like mocked us from like, he was always like way ahead. So I loved Ro. He is so witty. Yeah, he's he's the man. He's awesome. He's so witty and dry, such a dry, dry sense of totally. humor. And also filled with incredibly valuable yeah. information. Oh, he's really thoughtful. And the other thing is I, I was doing a game for ESPN and Adam Dunn uh, was on the field, the White Sox. <laughs> so uh, we were just, we were talking about the shift. So I was going to ask you just quickly about adaptability. But And he's like, yeah, man. Uh, so we were asking about the shift. And he's like, yeah, I think Jay Bruce called me, man. And and I, as soon as I picked up the phone, I said, they're in your head, man. They're in your head. They're, you're asking me how to deal with this shift. It's like, so obviously you did an incredible job to adapt, to play as long as you, you must have uh, been able to do that. And I guess, um, you know, I just wanted to ask you about the big, biggest accomplishment of just adapting to a game at, to play at this level. Yeah, I think that, you know, the adaptability and the, you know, ability to evolve along with the game, it's is extremely important and necessary to, to continue to be successful. And, um, you know, the shift, man, that the shift is crazy. It really is. Um, I saw this year, I mean, they started putting four guys in the outfield and my initial thought was, man, if I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to do, I can hit a line drive to the outfield <laughs> and almost certainly be out. It's like, what, what's, you know, what do you do? And then, so then the, you know, all the people that think that the game is extremely easy would be like, oh, we'll just hit bunt or hit a ground ball to shortstop or, you know, one of those things. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, I mean, I got it I, for sure. Um, not that easy. And secondly, you never practice that. It's extremely like hard to practice. You don't ever hit a ground ball, and like, yeah, I've practiced bunting um, a lot, but it's way harder in a game. It's way different. And sorry, there's construction going on. Um, Notice that. And you know, the other thing that people don't realize is that you have a a profile of a player that makes you valuable, you know? Um, and so let's just say in my career that I'm, you know, mostly hit 250 something with 30 something and 90 something. That's what made me valuable. I was driving in runs. I was hitting home runs, uh, hitting extra base hits. So now let's just say that I hit 270 with 19 home runs and 82 RBIs. Well, that's going to create a whole nother problem because people are going to be like, well, where, why aren't you hitting for power anymore? And so it's a really fine line to walk. You know, you have to be adaptable and you have to evolve. And I think what I ended up coming up with was you just have to do whatever you can to fill your bucket with more of what you do well, rather than trying to like fix what you do poorly all the time. And I got to New York in my whole career, I got to the Mets and my whole career Every hitting coach, you know, taught, hey, you got to hit the ball the other way. Hey, you got to hit the ball the other way. You got to use the whole field. You got to use the whole field. You know, you got to bunt. 
and I get to I get to New York for the Mets, and Kevin Long, the hitting coach, is like, "What do you do the best?" Hello, sorry. I said I hit fly balls to right center field the best, and he's like, "Well, let's just do more of that. Let's figure out a way to do more of that more often," because he said the most successfully hit ball is a ball that is pulled in the air. And he's like, and if you already do that really well, then why don't we just focus on doing what it takes to create that result more often? And, you know, for me, that was something that um, made a lot of sense. And I feel like, that allowed me to really just kind of lean into who I was as a player and, you know, still have the ability to have a lot of success in my own way. Jay, I can't let you leave without playing the famous know your Jay Bruce trivia game. <laughs> okay. So All right. you, uh, as I know you remember, you once hit two homers in a game off Clayton Kershaw. Mm-hmm. Only two other yeah. left-handed hitters have ever done that. Try to keep this simple. Who was the first? Was it Ryan Howard? Was it Barry Bonds? Or was it Adam Dunn? It was Adam Dunn. I I know you remember that game, right? You probably were there for it. I do. It was actually Sunday Night Baseball. Yes, it was. One last thing. Now, at your press conference last week, you had a line that really struck me. You said, look who it is. You said, I feel like baseball chose me. Why do you think baseball chose you? I don't know why um, it chose me, but I feel strongly that it did because it was never work. My parents never had to tell me any, you know, hey, you need to go practice or whatever. You know, I never took lessons. Um, And, you know, just I was just – really the game was so natural and comfortable and fun for me my whole life and you know there are people who took more lessons or 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 you know hit more or you know played on on more tournament teams and I was you know it just always came out a little differently and a little better than most people and I really think that you know, the, the positions that I was, that I found myself in and the people that I played with and against, I really felt like that the path was somehow kind of already there for me, you know, and I don't know why. And I, I, I feel strongly about that just in general. Obviously there are your cases that, you know, where, where people beat all the odds, but, you know, when I talk to parents, I'm like, listen, first and foremost, make sure it's fun for the kids. Make sure it's fun. Make sure they're enjoying it. Make sure that something happens that makes them want to come back because you can pay all the money or take all the lessons or, you know, buy into all these different, um, you know, thoughts or or whatever people tell you. But at the end of the day, I feel like it chooses you. And if they're going to, if they're going to go to the next level and have a, you know, long successful baseball career, and I hope everyone does, and it's probably going to happen because of them, and, and I think it was going to happen anyway. Well, what a great way to describe it. Uh, Jay, can't tell you how much we loved having you here in Starkville. Uh, I know you got to go take out the trash or some other important household assignment, but <laughs> look, congratulations on a fantastic career and 
all the best in the real world. And thanks for always being one of the all time class acts. Well, thanks for having me. And I really appreciate, you know, being able, y'all, I, I appreciate y'all asking me to come on to do this. And, um, you know, y'all are so thoughtful and, and well, um, you, you, you approach it a little differently than a lot of people do. And I think that's really awesome. And, um, you know, thanks for having me. And I, I'm sure I'll see you down the road. To it, man. Jay, you're the best. Thank you so much. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. Okay, it's that time again. It is time for Listener Trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. And once again this year, we are literally involving you because every week we pick the most fun Listener Trivia question. And if that's you, we invite you to join this podcast live to stump us with your question. And Doug, you know what I'd like to say? I'd like to say we are now officially on a roll in answering these things, despite the new 2021 ban on your devious cheating scheme. <laughs> but let's be honest, man, I'm on a roll. Okay. Officially, we've gotten two of these right in a row, which is always a miracle. But again, we're being honest. I've been carrying you these last two weeks. Mm. It's kind of like the way you used to carry me when I needed hilarious emergency <laughs> quotes from my columns, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I'd like to th think of myself as the inspiration. So, you know, I feel like I've kind of welled up that intelligence and just got to go. And so, uh, you know, in volleyball, you set it up and you come and spike it. That's okay. I'm okay with that role right now. Okay. So you're not, you don't, you don't actually answer any of the questions. You just inspire no. answers. Yeah. I, I make sure I give you the wrong one so that you can dismiss them and feel more confident in the right one. Okay. This is even more devious than your cheating scheme. <laughs> I like it. In truth, I'm as shocked as anybody that I got last week's question right from Sarah Langs. But you know what it proves, don't you? It proves you don't need devious cheating schemes to succeed in life after all. That's what I take away from this. I think that all of humankind, but especially you, Good should learn that lesson. Right? You're a changed well, man, Stark, aren't you now? You, you could, we could pass an ordinance in Starkville and uh, you know, sort of make it and codify this lesson in life. So I think all of our citizens will respect that. I like it. Okay. As long as you respect it. That's what we I care do. about. Okay. I do. It's, We're winning now. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful moment. And uh, <laughs> all right, whatever. Let's go for three in a row, pal. And let's welcome in this week's special trivia contestant. It's Yisroel Picker. 
who was so excited to join us that he hit us up on Twitter with three different questions. <laughs> so, yes, well, welcome to Starkville. Uh, apparently, you had a lot of trivia bottled up inside. And so you, then you just hit us with all of it this weekend, right? Exactly. You nailed it right on the head. <laughs> Can't get that one past you. It's always a tough thing when you have... No. It's, it's, it's hard when you have trivia bottled up inside. Trust me. I know this from personal experience. Uh, so, Yisrael, uh, we understand that you're actually in Jerusalem right now. So how does a guy in Jerusalem decide to start sending trivia questions across the sea all the way to Starkville? Well, you could take the uh, New Yorker out of New York, but you can't take the New York out of the New Yorker. <laughs> so that's what it is. That's um, what it is. I grew up loving baseball and just still follow it. All right, look, it's, it's really cool to have you here. But here comes the best part. Your 30 seconds of fame. It's time for you to ask this week's question so we can go back to getting these wrong like we used to before my little hot streak. Okay. Let's go. Jason and Doug, here's the question from halfway around the world. Name the two father-son combinations where both were drafted within the top 10, meaning top 10 picks, not top 10 rounds, and both father and son made it to the major leagues. Okay, so we're looking, this is not, you know, the father-son themes in honor of Fernando Tatis Sr. and Jr., obviously, but they're not the answer to the question. So it's two players, a father and a son, both drafted in the top 10 picks in the first round, and Mm. they both made the big leagues. So, Doug, this is hard. Like, I know lots of father-son facts, but top 10 in the draft yeah. trivia type facts, I'm not, I don't know about that one. I I do. I'm thinking like if only I knew a one time first round draft pick who might know something about first round draft picks. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> right. oh wait, that's yeah. you, Doug. That, you were a first round pick. You're perfect for this job. Oh, uh, I mean, I do. I there was a period where I definitely knew who was drafted in the first round. <laughs> oh no, you're uh, already copping out. Well, all right. Okay, here's things I thought about, the people I thought about. So someone like, I don't know, the draft was what, 1965, right? Wasn't that the first year in the 60s? That was the first year. You're correct. All right. So someone like Jeff Burroughs, right? So Jeff Burroughs was really good. And his son, wasn't his name Sean or what was his name? Sean Burroughs. Sean Burroughs, right? So I think I'm pretty sure he was the first rounder. Um, Yeah. Is that right? All right. So... What about like that, that's Hunt, that's definitely one of my guesses. That's what so I okay. On the same page well, on that one. Hunter Harvey wasn't he pretty high pick? Um, I don't know if he, first round I threw him out there. I thought about D Gordon, you know Flash. I thought they were pretty good. I don't know don't, about don't Bellinger. forget D, D's brother, also mm-hmm. uh, was yeah. a first round pick who just got called up. Yeah. Okay. But, so but I thought that was where was Flash. I don't know. I mean, great arm, great curveball. Uh, and then the the old heads, I kind of thought Jesse Barfield or Prince Fielder, uh, Biggio. Even I was trying to figure out where Bobby Bonds. He was like, I couldn't figure out where he was. He came debuted in like '68 or something. Uh, yeah, that doesn't seem right to me. Yeah, so that, that's all I got. So I mean, yeah. I like Burroughs, Harvey, Gordon. I thought yeah. like I thought of I, I thought of all those. I thought of the the Bells. Yeah. That's a big father-son thing. The Biggios, right? I, like, here's one of the Camerons, right? Mac and Dak. 
Mike and Dak, uh, the Brantleys. Mm. Uh, we now have Ryan That's Weathers, right. David one. Weathers. What about him? The Drabecks. I like. I can't imagine that the like the Bonses are mm. right or the Griffies are right, but I like. I definitely think Jeff and Sean Burrows is one of them. We right. just have to settle on what's our what's going to be our other guess. We got way too many to choose from. Yeah. Um, my guess is the Burrows. Doug's guess is the Barfields. Okay, so that way if we get it wrong, we'll know who to blame. Uh, Burrows is correct. Jeff went first overall, and Sean went ninth overall. Jeff and so that one's right. That, that Burrows correct. is that correct. correct. So, so we got that one right. All right, well, I, I right. definitively said let's guess the Burrows. <laughs> yes. Okay. The second one, you guys didn't even one. get close. He wasn't even in the in the ball. You didn't even mention the name. Grieve. No, really? Tom Grieve and Ben Grieve. Oh. Ooh, wow. Wow. Tom Grieve. Tom That's Grieve. What one. year was Tom Grieve? Sixty-six. Oh, so he was the second draft. I remember Ben. I remember talking yeah. to Ben when he played. Wow. What? You, uh, what you might even have played with him, right? Let's let's recap. We got this wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even feel nice. bad about missing this question. It's that, yeah, hard. A, a, we, we could not possibly get three in a row without your yeah. devious cheating scheme. So I feel really good, though, that you got Jeff Burrows. That, that feels good, though. I, I, I'm so glad I <laughs> nailed that one. Thanks for chilling. <laughs> All right, so let's say it's five. we're five weeks into this. We're two and three, a game under 500. Does that sound right? Game under. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. game under. Uh, whatever. If you listen regularly, you know that whether we get the question right or wrong, we still bring in our mayor to play some cool play-by-play clip that has something to do with our trivia question or our trivia answer. So let's bring in the mayor, Mayor Tim. What do you got for us today? Hey, guys. So the first thing I wanted to get, right, was Ben Grieve doing something and Tom Grieve on the call for the Texas yes. Rangers, right? That would have been perfect. I looked nice. far and wide. I even did the research. Ben Grieve hit two homers back in 98 against the Rangers on his way to the American League Rookie of the Year Award. I couldn't find anything. I checked in with Levi Weaver, our Rangers reporter here at The Athletic, and he informed me that when Ben Grieve batted against the Rangers – Tom Grieve stepped out of the booth and did not do the calls because he did not want to be biased. So So we're just going to play a little silence. So I know. So I'm off the hook (laughs) as far as the dream, which was the Greaves together on one call. So we're going to go the other direction. The one that you guys got right, which was the Burroughs. So we're going to go back to April 8th, 2004. The first game ever played at Petco Park. Here's Sean. Sit, get down, get down. And now the Padres win. That's a good old-fashioned snatch him back. And a third-year guy who's 20-something years old, still carrying the lunchbox to work, wins it for San Diego. Hopefully this sets a trend for the future. Here it is. Watch Sean get his hands through. Bang! Get out of that kitchen. Wow, that would be Matt Vaskurgeon on the call <laughs> with uh, Mark Grant. All yeah, right. Mark Mud Grant, yeah. Yeah, how about it? Wow, that was great. Uh, yes, Royal, what an excellent question. Uh, great so question. Thanks for shipping that one across the sea at us. <laughs> Very good work. And thank you for joining us on Starkville, my friend. It's my pleasure, and I hope to send you more trivias in the uh, future. We look yeah, forward yeah. to that. So remember, next time, this can be you asking us one of these questions 
and experiencing the thrill of victory or the agony of having us somehow get your question right. We'll tell you how to do that in a couple of minutes. But first, one more thing. Doug, you got nominated for an Emmy, my friend, and not just a sit in the studio yakking it up about baseball kind of Emmy. A writing Emmy? You got nominated for a writing Emmy? That is incredible. Tell us about it. Yeah, Jay, man. It, it, yeah, it was pretty mind-blowing. And, um, you know, I knew that, you know, a while back with, the, um, with George Floyd and all the response to his killing and, and all the sort of social commentary that came from it, uh, ESPN reached out and said, hey, you know, you want to take a crack at writing an essay about it. And so they, you know, gave me this really great team at Outside the Lines and they said, go for it. So I was, we worked with this guy, particularly Blake, Fo- Blake Foman, who produced these incredible imagery and, and we kind of put it all together. And uh, so I wrote this poem called Enough and this essay turned into life with, you know, great production and it just sort of carried, it just resonated, it echoed and it was timely and it was responsive to what was happening. So the thing that was so magical about writing it is even at the time is it was a chance to channel so much of my life. You know, I grew up, I always talk about growing up in Teaneck and how there was so much emphasis on inclusion and working together. My volunteer coaches in the summer were often law enforcement, the uh, head detective of the Teaneck Police Department. His son, by the way, a teammate of mine is now the chief of police in Teaneck. So I played with a lot of players who became officers and my dad used to volunteer and help officers uh, deal with their challenges. He was a psychiatrist and the stresses of their job. So I was very connected to law enforcement in, in a very teamwork kind of way. And and so when he passed away, they gave him a full police escort, uh, you know, the, to the burial site, gave our family one. So I had a, a lot of layers of so George Floyd, of course, relating to police and, and race in America and growing up in a place that was inclusive and, and learning how to work together as a kind of a family of people, regardless of your identity. And then channeling my parents, where my mom was an educator and, and really on the ground in civil rights and always talking about self-esteem and education. My dad, who really came from Trinidad and Tobago to the United States looking for this opportunity and always called things to justice when it came to his kind of calm, disarming way. And he was really a poet in, in his sort of spare time. So I kind of felt like it just honored everyone together together. And nothing was better than me to tie it to sports, you know, where I see teamwork work with different kinds of people and I see equity at play because the rules that we always talk about are supposed to be fair no matter who is on which dugout in which dugout. And so that was the probably the greatest feeling that that was all validated in this way that I couldn't even really explain. And it happened on the day the verdict came down, uh, you know, the, the guilty verdict came down on Officer Chauvin. So I, I just think it it was a really powerful, overwhelming day. So I, I just, you know, couldn't be thank, more thankful for all the people that have inspired me and influenced and, and just made it come together in a way that uplifts some of the things I really care about. And that is us, you know, being one as a people and, and finding a way to be the greatest team you can imagine. Yeah, and this essay is incredible. Uh, I believe it's still available. You can find it on YouTube, right? If you if you've Correct. never yeah. heard it, and you care about this, you should make it a point to go to YouTube and listen to what Doug wrote. Um, there's also this, Doug. I'm going to guess 
no ex-athlete has ever won a writing Emmy. I, I know you were looking into this or ESPN was looking into this. What'd we find? You know, it's still nothing yet. I, I think even down to being nominated might be also a donut, a zero. So, I, you know, I'm looking into it and find out more. This is great for the audience who loves to do this kind of research. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I didn't think about it until, you know, the, the uh, Andy Tennant, who runs OTL and it's sort of long form E60, said, hey, I don't know if this has ever happened. We haven't found other examples. So I think that's, that's you know, one of the cooler parts because I guess I've sometimes been a man without a country, right? I'm, I'm an athlete that kind of went into, I was an engineer who did you know, these different <laughs> places. And like, and to, um, you know, but I love writing. I've always loved it. And it's uh, it just kind of made it feel so tangible about, you know, this is my profession and it's something that's making a difference in people's lives. Uh, that's all you could ask. Yeah. Well, if you win this thing, it's a springboard for you to fulfill one of your other big goals in life. The yes. EGOT, Emmy, <laughs> yes. Grammy, Oscar, Tony. Uh, how many of those you have left to win? You're pretty close, uh, aren't you? Four. All I four. Have four. <laughs> <laughs> oh, only four out of four. Uh, wait. Yeah. Uh, okay. So the this will take care of the Emmy. I thought you won an Oscar for that. Amazing work of yours in Summer Catch, no? I, I, I thought I did. Uh, Freddie Prince Jr. Uh, has supported me on this in my uh, epic performance of chasing after a fly ball that went over the fence well uh, with no, speak, no speaking lines. So that was must have been really powerful how I ran after that ball. So uh, I'm looking for that in the mail. I still get a couple of residual payments of like, you know, $12 a year from all the time it's streamed. Uh, so stream your summer catch now. Uh, as for the Tony Award, um, I'm not sure about Broadway, how I'm going to pull this off. I might have, I would have loved to run on the stage when Hamilton was playing and just dance with everybody. Uh, that's yeah. about as close as I might get. And I do, I do think the Grammy is in hand. I've done four seventh inning stretches at, at Wrigley. One of those has to be Grammy notable. So I'm hoping that that will come through at uh, some point. And that's the closest you've come. That's, Take that's me the out closest to the ball game. Come. That's it. Take yeah. me out or singing my yeah. son, uh, his bedtime singing when he was uh, a few months old. That, uh, that might qualify also. Right. Well, of course, the, those people who were listening to you sing at Wrigley were so <laughs> scarred by the, what they'd seen of your first pitch that they didn't hear yes. a word you sang. Well, I did outperform <laughs> Ozzy Osbourne. We do know that yeah, one. Yeah, that's true. So, so I do that's feel true. that's that's something. And he's he's recorded albums before, so that that says something. All right. Well, I have the answer for you. Okay, here yes. is how you're gonna win the Tony and the Grammy. All we need is Starkville the musical coming <laughs> soon to Broadway. Sound good to you? <laughs> I want to hear that soundtrack. <laughs> I could, yeah. I could get Hall and Oates. That's all I can get right now. Okay, That's that'll definitely be in there. Um, and then, all right, once it becomes a runaway hit, then it'll be like Ma Rainey. They'll, they'll Netflix will make a movie of it. That'll be your Oscar. We're like all it. set I, here. We're double dipping. I like. It. We are all. We are all set. I, like I made it happen. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, that's going to do it for another fabulous edition of Starkville. You can find us every Tuesday in our new home as part of the Athletic Baseball Show. Every Monday, you get Ken Rosenthal's mailbag. On Thursdays, Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. Much fun. 
Fridays, Keith Law and Derek Van Riper. I love all these shows, Doug. And the Athletic Baseball Show is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. So be sure to subscribe and follow us and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you go for your podcast entertainment. And of course, you can still find us ad-free at The Athletic App. And if you like to read our work or any of the tremendous writing on our site, on Mad Bums, whatever that was, on Fernando Tatis, <laughs> on your favorite team, there is no better sports writing being done anywhere than you'll find in The Athletic. So if you've thought about subscribing, we are still offering a fabulous special. Just go to theathletic.com slash baseball show and you can subscribe for just $3.99 a month. So check us out. Also remember, you too can be part of this podcast. Every week we invite the listener who submits the most fun trivia question of the week to join us right here on the pod and prove once again there is almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong. So to do that, you just need to submit a great question, either via email at starkville at theathletic.com, or you can do what most people do, what Yisroel Picker did today, and <laughs> fire those questions at us on Twitter. Where would somebody find Doug Glanville on Twitter? Yes, dig into the weeds of Starkville in the back valleys at Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. Yeah, Doug will not be singing. He is there. Uh, and you can find me at Jason S-T, that's J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. And remember, hashtag those questions, hashtag Starkville QS. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Jay Bruce for visiting. Thanks to Yisrael Picker for the great trivia question. Thanks to our mayor, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Coming up Thursday on the Athletic Baseball Show, it's Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby, everybody. And Doug and I will see you next Tuesday on Starkville. <laughs>